0: Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Up you wake up, you wake up, you wake up, you wake. This is America. Don't catch your slipping no. CIA owns this? No. No. Uh independent aviation consultants. Oh, this is legal? If you're doing it for the good guys. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't get caught. This is America. Don't catch you slipping though. No. I don't know. Something's like crossed over in me and I can't go back. I mean, I just couldn't live. I know. Don't catch you slipping, though. Look what I'm whipping, though. There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. This is America. Don't catch you slipping, though. I mean, come on, let's kick the ballistics here ain't no uzis made in harlem i mean not one of us in here owns a poppy feed this thing is bigger than nino brown this is big business this is the american way you- i got the strap hey i gotta carry him. yeah yeah i'm gonna go into this oh. yeah yeah this is go- ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the b movie podcast i'm your host adam kautzer and this week New podcast double feature with This Is America Sports, and we're looking at two sports films, but as you probably already guessed and how it's working on the on these double features, uh, they're slightly different than the traditional genre of. Um, pieces that you would or genre films that you would expect uh, to come out of this so it's not that we're we're not going to be talking about kevin costner baseball films uh and we're not talking about um well actually uh, you know something that i've been talking about recently which is is that there's a lot of there there's there's good basketball films But there's like you know there's very few great ones, and I'm talking about actually a really great one that I think that has been vastly underseen in uh, Spike Lee's He Got Game, and how these two mix and mingle and work off of one another. Well, that's going to be for the second half, Um, uh, the second half of the pod uh, the podcast double feature. You're going to have to tune in for that to hear how. I feel that they these two mesh together, but uh, let's get right into 1992's A League of Their Own, uh, directed by uh, Penny Marshall and starring, to steal a phrase from, from uh, the uh, the sport that uh, the film is about, uh, a murderer's row of actors, um, headlined by Gina Davis. Um, Tom Hanks, Madonna, um, and then you've got support by Rosie O'Donnell, Lori Petty, John Lovitz, David Strathairn, uh, Gary Marshall, and Bill Pullman. I mean, it, like if you listen to that that list of actors, I mean that those actors play a huge part of mid. Uh, mid 90s to early 2000s i mean and in tom hanks's case i mean he's still i mean you know he's still doing it i mean last year the post great film i mean he still continually surprises us as not really surprises us but he definitely continually shows the reason why he is one of our one of the great american actors or i should say one of the great american stars and maybe one of the last ones but um why don't we uh, get into the story but that is not for us to debate here. Um, maybe eventually we'll get to Hanks and some of his forgotten things. I mean, actually, we have talked about uh, Tom Hanks and some of the forgotten films that he's done. Uh, so, if you want to hear my thoughts about him, go back to to go back to those and uh, listen to the double feature that pairs Volunteers with Joe Versus the Volcano, two of my very favorite um, Tom Hanks films. But A League of Their Own is a is a, I guess you could say it's like a fictionalized account of the formation of a real-life sports organization, uh, the uh, All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, or the AAGPBL, which is not a very user-friendly abbreviation. Um, So the film is actually, it's not based off of, but it's inspired by um, a documentary of the same name, a league of their own, which, uh, if you want to know the reality of the, the league itself, I would strongly recommend taking, taking, uh, taking a look at that documentary. It's worth, it's worth seeking out. You can probably, I think you can find it on YouTube actually. Um, it's a great documentary that kind of gives you an idea of the nuts and bolts of this uh, this league, and A League of Their Own is a compliment to it. Uh, Penny Marshall is one of those filmmakers that just makes these great, wholesome, feel-good comedy dramas and it's something that we're very in we're in short order of recently um you look at her you look at her filmography and you realize just how many great fucking films that she's done and i i feel like to me a league of their own is maybe her best it's my favorite, um, maybe my favorite, I'm not really sure, like it it goes back and forth, there's a couple of them out there that are really great, I, I feel like uh, Renaissance Man is highly underrated and highly underseen. Um, has one of the truly last great great Danny DeVito performances, uh, where it it wasn't like he was playing with It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia the that crew. It's just like a genuinely good heartfelt performance. Um, Awakenings is a great film that I feel like nobody talks about anymore. And uh, mark your uh, mark your calendars, guys, because that's probably a film that we will be talking about. Um, of course, Big. I mean, you cannot you can never forget Big, but she's she's acquired a a filmography that's that's really respectable like i mean in any other if if it was a man's if it was a man that had directed all these films i mean she would be in like she would just she would be revered and that's the sad part i mean is that that Penny Marshall is still not as revered as her male counterparts even though she's made some really great films and I feel like a league of their own is is refined in a way that few few period pieces are but it feels modern and fresh but doesn't distract from um from the from the story it's telling there's just one scene that feels really kind of it feels very 90s but other than that i mean the movie is to me the movie is ultimately a perfect film uh perfectly modulated uh comedy drama with a lot of heart i mean it's very heartfelt and it's very passionately told and uh i mean uh, just a great it's a great sports film uh i personally consider this to be in my top 10 of sports films um uh, it's it's that good um the film charts the first year or the first season of the um of the All American Girls Professional Baseball League, and it begins out of a need for sports because it's in the heart of World War II. Um, the baseball players of America have started signing up, following Joe DiMaggio's, um, uh, inspired by Joe DiMaggio signing up to uh, signing up for the army. Um, many baseball players had signed up, leaving a league. Um, basically much like the uh like the like america at the time um without the without that workforce to be able to properly run it uh so the fictionalized version of of owners get together to uh to create a baseball league. I mean, again, this movie is a fictionalized account, so you have to keep that in mind. It's not you're not talking about Wrigley or any of the other baseball owners. You're talking about um like one baseball owner like for story purposes. They really kind of they they whittle things down to make it the most easiest to to take in so that your your time is not spent on the misagosh of of how the league was formed. It's done very cleanly. And we're, we're shown the face of the league in the executive offices, uh, by two people. Um, (laughs) the great, 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 uh, Gary Marshall, um, as Walter Harvey who's a candy bar mogul you you only have to take a couple of leaps to realize who that might be um especially sports especially baseball fans definitely know who that would be and then um also Ira Lowenstein who is the um who's the like they call him the general manager of the entire league but he definitely feels like he's more of the general manager of of the the team that we ultimately follow but these two men and uh these two men like they they form this league i mean it's not just them it's it's many other people many other moving parts but as i said they very much they the screenwriters and penny marshall really streamline this film so that at the beginning, the, all the complications of how this all got started kind of just goes to the wayward side because of, because of just a few quick expository setups, you're able to move away from this and move right into the heart of the film. Um, it also does help that there are some bookends, bookends that I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm, i'm against it's just generally i don't normally like bookends like you know present day bookends they take something away from the films at least to me but in this case it i feel like what they were trying to go for and they were trying to achieve i think that they're absolutely necessary um and we meet um uh we meet the the two characters that will be following um Dottie and Kit, uh, two sisters played by Gina Davis and Lori Petty, they play baseball in their part-time. Um, it's just something that they love to do, um, but their full-time work, I mean, because of the fact that this is not, the, the league hasn't been formed yet, uh, they're they're on a farm in Oregon. Um, Dottie is married and her husband is off to war, which plays a pretty key role in the film, and the film is essentially about Kit and Dottie and how they get into the league and they are a part of the league. There are kind of guides and our main characters through this whole entire season um, and the ups and downs therein. Um, and how things transpire and what things go. I mean, it's a classic sports film um, in which it charts one team and their rise uh their rise through the ranks um and then on the other hand it's not necessarily the traditional sports film because it also focuses it just doesn't focus on the the sports itself it like and also the personal lives but it also adds a couple of other additional components it adds in the sexism at the time and talks about the sexism and all of the uh, the roadblocks that were in front of these women and the treatment that they received because they were women and they were playing sports. Uh, it's not done in a very heavy handed way. I have to, you have to credit Penny Marshall for being able to have this lighter than air touch that allows the film to play these scenes out but never really truly call attention to them the only one time that it becomes a really big issue and it's the one thing that I I kind of look at it and it just it's a little bit of a twinge is the moment with the um there's a moment like right in the middle of the film where Um, like a foul ball goes stray and a black woman comes up and she throws the ball and like Dottie is like you know Dottie Gina Davis's character is right there and the ball like the black lady throws the ball over Dottie and to like the first baseman who's like a couple of like a like a couple of hundred feet away and she and she like winces because the 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 ball is so powerfully thrown. And I'm just like, that's the only moment like of that of the moments that they they call attention to certain things. It's the one time where you just kind of like, Oh, oh, I wish they could have found a better way to do something like that to show that that even though these women were getting chances, there were other women and other other people that weren't that didn't have this this chance that they were given. They were given, um, but I mean, you know, it's a small it's a small it's a small criticism for something that a film that managed to do a lot of critiquing, but never, um, never in a in a boldface way, and never in a preachy sort of way. It just it kind of does it through laughs and through story beats, things that you would. Uh, just smart filmmaking and smart storytelling, which, I mean, anybody can love and appreciate. I mean, this movie is not a treatise on on uh, on sexism, but it does definitely have that component there because it's absolutely necessary to talk about those uh, those things within the within the confines of uh, this particular story, because it is about the formation of one of the first female professional uh, professional sports leagues, and so that does happen to come at a time where women were asked to get out of the kitchen and go to, into the workforce. I mean, up until this point. America had a very kind of narrow view of what women could do, and uh, allowing them to do that, like you know, like not really allowing them, but but giving the chance to be able to do something more during this time really changed the landscape of America. I mean, we talked a lot about that on uh, the Kurt Russell episode, uh, swing sh- uh, that covered swing shift, um, because it takes place in about the same time period. Um, and it's really interesting to watch this film and how penny marshall is able to never preach. She never gets on a soapbox. Even that moment with the um with with the black woman throwing the ball, it's not really a soapbox moment, but it's all there and you can take a look at it and and dissect it and critique it yourself if you want. But if you don't, you what you're left with is a really great, very smart sports film that understands that like like all of the great sports films that, yes, you need a great like hook and you need those great moments um, in in the games and through the playoffs and to the championship games. But it also understands that at, at its core, it's about people. And at the the core of this movie, it's about uh, these two sisters at odds with one another, one who refuses to admit that she loves something that, uh, that she is really good at, and another one that's trying to get out of the shadow of her, of her sister, and, um, I find, I find the relationship, uh, to be extremely interesting in how the, the dynamics of that work, they're never, like, the, the very, the very interesting thing is, is, and what I love about this film is that there's never something, there's never a man that gets between them, um, like, there's never a moment where it's about that kind of jealousy. It's more about Kit wanting to wanting to be out of uh, Dottie's shadow as Dottie's little sister, Kit, um, and her just being frustrated to the point of uh, you, you know to the to the, to the point of anger with her sister that she just can't. Get out of her shadow, and uh, Dottie, In a lot of ways, it's about the acceptance that she understands that she want that something. She wants something more than just her, you know, provincial life as a uh, as a homemaker. Um, it's it is really interesting how these are very unique like uh, story arcs because Dottie's one is is interesting because she spends the entire film like denying that she loves baseball as much as we can see that she does. And that arc, like her arc is just simply about her accepting that she does truly love what she's good at. And like it ultimately, it's kind of weird because it's a, it's also about that kind of regret that you have, like there's there's this very melancholy tone that plays throughout her storyline um that shows that that kind of just illustrates the point of that this woman was uh, w- was so defined by a certain position that she had. And when she was able to get that position back, she didn't look, she didn't look, uh, uh, you know, she didn't look behind. Uh, She just went right for it, which ultimately is this. It's like I said, it's a very melancholy, but it's also very sad because uh, because of the fact that if she had pushed herself And she had had like she had been in an environment that was more conclusive to uh, to uh, to following and chasing her dream that she would have done it. She would have been great. Um, I mean, it's it's a very interesting um, story arc, uh, along with uh, Laurie Petty's um, Kit Kit, uh, her storyline with. Her just wanting to be out of the shadows of her sister and being so emotional about it, and just a kid coming into her own and being a part of a new, um, a new era of being able to define yourself differently as a woman. Um, I think that that's where the strife comes. If you watch the film and you've seen it enough, um, and you analyze it, it's it's like these two warring ideologies. Uh, Between the two sisters, the one that's the new forward thinking um, women are going to be able to uh, get into the workforce and become something and your dreams are possible um, within within the character of Kit and then Dottie representing the old the older. Train of thought, which is, is that you stay at home, you raise children, um, you're you're the corning or the bedrock or the sediment for your or your foundation for your husband, and how these two warring factions or these two warring ideologies play throughout the entire film is the it is some of the draw is most of the drama and a lot of the heart and the thematics of the film. Now, of course, there's so much else going on in this film. yes, this film is a little bit longer um it's it's about uh two hours and ten minutes, but so much is talked about in this film and so much there's so many characters in this film uh, that populate uh, that populate the story that are just just great. I mean you've got the rest of the team, um, people like Madonna playing all the way may um who and her, part, uh, and her partner in crime, Rosie O'Donnell, uh, uh, playing Doris. And they're kind of like the New Yorker, tough girl, um, uh, like contingent and uh, like seeing how they interact with with Dotty and Kit. Uh, and then you've also have people like uh, um, Helen, who's played by Anne Ramsey and. Um, Betty Spaghetti played by Tracy Renier, um, uh, Megan Cavanaugh playing Marla, who's like ultimately my favorite character. I love uh, like I love Marla uh, and her storyline, but and but they're all supporting an en- They're They're all in an ensemble and a support for dotty and kit though they all have their individual moments and they're all fully realized which i really do appreciate i love the fact that we get a lot of time with these uh, with these characters interacting like they're not just it's not just on the bus while they're interacting but they're in hotel rooms they're at their uh like their central house because they have like this central house that they use uh when they're in town um they like uh you know in the locker room, in in the dugout, but it's all really interesting, because they're all uniquely defined, and they're all, like, really full, fully realized characters, which I love, I just, I love how much care went into, not just the casting, but the writing, and the direction of these actresses, because every single one of them is a memorable character and not just doesn't have it's just one moment but have multiple moments i mean you after you leave this movie you know every single one of these characters and you feel like you've spent months with them um in in the best way possible it doesn't it, the the film never feels like a slog or a slu- uh, a sludge i mean it's it moves so quickly it's such a great um it's just such a great film to just watch and, and enjoy um, it really is great uh especially from that perspective like when you talk about like you know wanting uh, wanting a movie with with fully realized characters but not only that a movie that's also fucking hilarious i mean you have all these things that you would want in a movie and i can just simply point you to this movie and it does everything without like without any fail, like it's a perfectly well-oiled machine. This is, to me, this is like the apex of great f- commercial filmmaking in the '90s. This is something that we would never see anymore. A League of Their Own um, is a movie that we just wouldn't we wouldn't see. Like, like the movie cost about forty million dollars uh, in adjusted dollar uh, in adjusted amount. It would be anywhere between eighty to one hundred million. Um, but I mean, the, also the movie made about 150 million in the U S which translated out is about 300 to $400 million today. Um, but there's no special, there's no like really big special effects. It's just a really great film and a, in a really sharp film because there's a moment that happens in this film at the last at, at the end of it. And if you've not seen it, I'm definitely not going to ruin it, but what i noticed upon watching it again cuz it had been about i don't know about 7 or 8 years since i've seen it um watching it this time i i never realized how smart and complicated the last uh, the last act of this film is and how great the turn is in the the second into the third act and how unexpected it is uh, but it also redefines and recontextualizes everything for you, so that when you get to the World Series, it becomes a completely different ball game, where the team that you've been following—the the the, uh, the Racine Peaches—have, um, or I'm sorry, the Rockford Peaches—it's uh, come to a point where you maybe you might not be rooting for them. You may be rooting for uh, the other team, uh, which it's really, really interesting how they how they work that out and how they play that. Um, I was genuinely shocked and surprised at it, even though I know the film inside and out. It was still one of those moments where you go, "Fuck, that's that is great fucking storytelling." Um, I would be remiss if I did not <laughs> I, I did not mention. One of the highlights and the delights of this film, which is John Lovitz, Um, he has a very small, he's a very small role. It's maybe, he's within the first maybe 10 minutes of the film. Uh, He plays a, a scout. And as Ernie the Scout, per line, he possibly has the funniest per line role that I've ever seen in my life. Every single line that he has feels like it came out of the sweet smell of success it is so vicious barbarous cold ice pick barbs that are just directed at everybody in the film i mean like the first 10 minutes i mean you you see how truly just he he's an asshole i mean just an unrepentant asshole but he's a funny asshole and you can't help but laugh at the moments that he has where people are asking him innocuous questions and he just returns them with a retort that would probably get him hit or smacked in reality uh and he's just so fucking good i mean like all of the supporting players are good uh you know uh, gina davis is fucking amazing and great as dotty and so is laurie petty but they get so much support and so much play off of the different supporting uh, actors in this film. It's just unreal. And John Lovitz is one of them. I mean, but also John Lovitz is not as funny if Gina Davis doesn't do her job. So it's not like he's like the crowning achievement of this film uh, or the... He doesn't steal the entire movie, but he definitely, definitely um is a highlight as is Tom Hanks Tom Hanks this is like this is the at the precipice for him um this is Tom Hanks right before he became Oscar winner Tom Hanks so i mean you think about it it's 90 it's 92 93 he wins Philadelphia for Philadelphia and then in 94 he wins for Forrest Gump and with that with this one two three combo of a league of their own Philadelphia and Forrest Gump he becomes the biggest actor or he becomes the 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 beloved Jimmy Stewart figure of the 90s into the 2000s but I think that people often forget about this role and this kind of Jimmy Durante. Um, <laughs> Cagney-esque like grump of a role that ultimately is this th- the film never never makes him too soft and cuddly um, but it manages to humanize an alcoholic grump, shitty person into this kind of figure that is competent enough to get these uh, get these women uh, like you know to push beyond who they who they are, um, but also he learns like you know he he learns a lesson or two uh, through uh, these these women and um, like coaching these women. But it's a very interesting role because it's nothing like anything that he did before or since. I mean like like you really look at it and it's Tom Hanks is very in like in a very affable guy and, and here he's playing an asshole but he's doing it with as Tom Hanks would play an asshole alcoholic. Uh, just keep that in mind when you really watch it. You you can see with this work, you see how talented he is. Because if you give this role to somebody like, say, Harrison Ford, which I think that the rumor was that he was up for the role, and he turned it down, of course, you know, I could write a book about the roles that Harrison Ford fucking turned down that probably would have given him even more legendary status. Uh, but if you have Tom Hanks, uh, Harrison Ford in this role, it doesn't work. He's just an asshole. <laughs> He's just an unrepentant asshole. He doesn't have the heart and the charm that Tom Hanks is able to bring in every single role. Uh, So I think that ultimately it's it's one of those fascinating roles that I feel that nobody actually talks about with him. And and that goes the same for Gina Davis. Like Gina Davis, I I honestly think that people have slept on Gina Davis for a long time. They forgot how good. And how big of an actress she was in this time from, I would say, 86 when she started to really rise uh, with uh, with uh, her, you know, with her first major role in The Fly um, to Earth Girls Are Easy to The Accidental Tourist to finally, the, uh, you know, to finally a league of their own. It, there's this ascent to stardom for her and she is such she was just such a unique talent like she could she could i mean if you think about it think about those movies that i just mentioned like those are horror sci-fi comedy and period drama comedy like all of that like and then also i mean you know the thing that she won the academy award for the accidental tourist which is Romantic drama comedy. I mean, it's a hodgepodge. It's it's classic Lawrence Kasdan when Lawrence Kasdan was making some really great, interesting work in the 80s. Um, and then, I mean, you know, you can always top it off with The Long Kiss Goodnight, which she, like, you know, she proved that she could do action too. So there was nothing that this woman could not do. And here, she's at the height of her powers. I mean, She's actually playing a role that... At the end of the day, you kind of don't like Dottie, but I don't think that you're meant to like Dottie as much as you're you're meant to like see her as a fully realized character, which she is. And I mean, that to me is the most interesting part is that you watch her and you track her in this film, even in the bookends like the bookends actually really work because she's not playing the older Dottie, but I feel like that performance really, from that woman, and then also, um, Gina Davis actually did the voiceover work for that for that role, so that you could, so the illusion was kind of semi kept. But what I love is I love how at the end of the day, she, like she only changes by millimeters, but if you watch it enough, you can see that change and you can see the regret. And just how sad it, like she's happy that have her husband back, but at the end of the day, with her performance, the very last moments of this movie, and then additionally with, like the wom the woman that's playing, um, that's playing her, uh, Lynn Cartwright, the, uh, like the two combination, the combination, the one-two punch of it. It makes you realize how melancholy of a performance it is and how sad it is. It's almost like something out of a fucking Bergman film because you're literally watching a woman who the thing that she loves most is baseball. The thing that she's great at is baseball and you see her just turn from it and move on and just sitting there and going to support her husband till his death. I mean that is I mean that's some sad shit. That is some really sh- sad shit. But uh, Penny Marshall never makes it like never leans on it and never like sits there and belabors the point. She just moves on like any kind of great director would. She she finds the way to impart these moments but she doesn't make it feel like, like it's overindulgent. And now we've gotten to one of my, what's becoming quickly one of my favorite things to do. Which is we're going to be remaking A League of Their Own um, at close to, what is it, almost 30 years old. This film, I feel like, deserves a remake. Um, but... Um, <laughs> I'm I'm starting to kind of get a feel for this. I've, I'm like just a little kind of uh, a little side tangent, I guess we could we could call this. Um, I've been trying to figure out a way to do a remake column for the last five years, ever since I started at Film Dispenser, um, the former home of the B-movie podcast. I really had wanted to make. Uh, A remake podcast, and or not a remake podcast, but a remake um, column, a written column, and I could just never find the time to really do it. And so you could probably hear me do it on the cusp, on off the cuff, uh, sometimes on other podcasts, or I would occasionally do it. I I redid it for Film Dispenser with the Star Wars films, recasting them, um, which will eventually get adjusted and updated and posted on the movie aisle, but. Uh, that's where this has come from. Is it just kind of like a fruition of, like, you know, something that had been spinning in my head, and I really, uh, I I don't know about you guys, but I really am am enjoying it and really starting to get a a feel for what I want to do with this, this section of the the podcast. And with that being said, uh, remaking A League of Their Own. So I had an idea. Rather than doing a straight remake, because I feel like, you would just be treading water over something that's so perfectly done by Penny Marshall. Let's leave that as is. What I thought about is instead of it being in, uh, instead of it being like you know set in the past, why not set it present day? Make a League of Their Own um, remake it for the modern era. Why? There's a couple of very specific reasons why. Um, I feel like in this era of Me Too and um, the WNBA and how progressive it is, but how much pushback they get. I feel like it would be a perfect kind of fictionalized way of being able to um, uh, talk about this uh, this time frame, but do it in the way that Penny Marshall had. Um, say maybe a couple of baseball owners can see that, um, that in order to like you know cat like you know say quote unquote be very crass and cash in on the me too movement they decide to open up a something called you know WMLB uh, women's Major League Baseball, so and they start with like say eight teams, and they have like fifty games, and they they figure that if they could cash in on baseball during the spring, like the early spring, as uh, as the as the baseball players are beginning, as the uh, men's baseball players are getting um, getting ready in spring training, the women will be actually playing baseball and actually you know doing their thing, um, and that's how we set it up but we keep the main characters we keep the kind of storyline that the the different storylines that we we have um uh and the same points but it's been able to do you're able to do it with a modern spin and with that in mind let's talk about a director who would i feel can we could actually give this to um And I, after thinking about it and like researching and really kind of figuring out who would be a perfect fit for this, I felt like, um, Kay Cannon, uh, the writer of the Pitch Perfect trilogy and recently directed, uh, and wrote, um, Cockblockers that just came out in 2018. We're recording this in July of 2018. So, um, what I like about her writing, because she would write and direct it, what I loved about her writing is, she writes she uh, she writes the she writes groups of women so well. She's able to give you like fully realized characters within within the Pitch Perfect trilogy and the Bellas. Um, I feel like she would be just like the perfect fit because pitch perfect is the pitch perfect trilogy is not that far off from a league of their own, especially because it's about competition. It's about these female characters, uh, within that framework and developing them, um, giving her this kind of movie, um, with the cast that I was gonna, I'm gonna like, you know, that I would recast it with, it just seems like a home run for her. So K Cannon. So with Dottie, uh played by Gina Davis, I I thought I thought about this and it's so hard to cast this because you're you're casting a Gina Davis replacement or somebody who is going to be judged by Gina Davis. And it took me a long time to really figure that out and then it became the most obvious the obvious pick, which is Charlize Theron. Um who, much like Gina Davis, is super tall. I mean, she's she she was a model. I mean, she's like five eleven. Uh, she she has that physical that physicality that Gina Davis did. I mean, uh, and little little known fact, Charlize Theron is actually pretty fucking hilarious. She's got some killer timing, which I feel like. Dottie isn't funny per se she just has killer timing and that's what you need and you need a superstar and I feel like you could she could fill those cleats perfectly um so yeah Charlie's still wrong um so for the the kit role you need somebody I mean because I mean I uh, like you know Charlize, uh, Charlize, Theron's going to be playing somebody in her thirties, even though she's forty, uh, which is completely okay. Um, I'm for it. I mean, I cast uh, like I cast her, but uh, with Kit, you need somebody who is literally a kid, um, somebody who has a youthful exuberance, but also somebody who's, uh, shall we say, can kin- like like most teenagers can be kind of grating so but grading in the best way possible uh so i i thought about this and it was no it was no contest at all um we i went with uh haley steinfeld i feel like her work in uh in um what is it uh just 17 and even in the pitch perfect movies it's kind of like the the example it's like kit 2.0 and i feel like between her and Charlize Theron, I mean, they would have... Because they're so... Kid and Dottie are different... Are, are like diametri- uh, diametric opposite people. And you would need people that are similarly diametrically opposite. So you would have Haley Steinfeld and Charlize Theron who I feel are like a very opposite of one another. And I think they would just have great chemistry. Um, so for the role of Jimmy Dugan, the... Uh, the retired, partially shamed baseball future Hall of Famer who's wasting his career and his life away in a bottle, um, who gets some semblance of um, purpose and uh, gets out of his malaise, uh, perfectly in uh, perfectly performed by Tom Hanks. I went an opposite way. Um, so you also have to think about where... Where Tom Hanks was in his career, I mean, he wasn't Tom Hanks with a capital T and a capital H. He was Tom Hanks. He was just this guy that we loved. Uh, you know, we loved in these goofy comedies like Turner and Hooch, and uh, you know, uh, we remember him for the laugh, uh, the the breaking point laughter in the Money Pit. <laughs> um, so, like at that point, at this point, we need somebody who can bring. Um, who can bring the funny but also bring the drama and somebody who just is likable like who could take this character and make them as likable as tom hanks but in a completely different way and so i thought about it and perfect casting for this is keegan michael key uh i feel like he he would bring a different energy but still manage to be just as cantankerous and angry And of course, everybody knows that there's no crying in baseball scene, which I feel like if you're going to have anybody do it, you got to have the guy that that did Luther, the anger translator, because he will summon he will summon the demons. (laughs) And I think it would just be a classic moment to see from him. Um, So next up, May, all the way May. You know, we had... Uh, we had a great perform. like you know i'm a big fan of madonna as an actress like i even liked shanghai surprise i'm no shit <laughs> and we will probably get into shanghai surprise whenever i decide to do more indiana Foe double features uh for you guys that, j- that have just joined us go ahead and look back at indiana Foe, and you'll see uh what i'm talking about but um So this one was actually the, it was the first one and the easiest one that I thought of. So if you're going to cast somebody in this role and you need them to be like New York or New York adjacent, I don't see how you can't cast Rihanna. Like I feel like Rihanna is like the perfect, like the perfect analogous um, casting, not just because she has one name, but I feel like. She's at a point in her career now where she's stretching, where she wants to be, in, like where she wants to be an actress. Very similarly to where Madonna was, I think that Madonna had pushed more in her career at this point, but it was giving her a really great movie that it's giving her a great role that speaks to her, uh, speaks to her strengths. But also gives her just a bit more to create a character, and I could not imagine anybody else but Rihanna playing this role. Um, for her, for her buddy uh, Doris, um, who is played by uh, Rosie O'Donnell, I went uh, again. I went a little bit. I went a little bit different. Um, you need somebody who's strong, who's almost like. Oh, I hate to use the word tomboy, but she's she's tough you know, she's got a tough exterior, so after, after th- and she has to be funny, but funny in a different way than the traditional sense, so I went with Sophia Botella. I feel like she, even though she's been having these great moments in film, and she has these great roles, she still hasn't had anything that, where she could just play normal, but not just normal, like, like something that's like she's funny, but I don't think she's been given this like platform to be something. And I feel like, like her Rihanna would play off of one another better than I think that anybody else would I feel like there would be a mutual respect considering and they're both physical performers so like the baseball would probably not be that much of an issue for them I mean Sofia Batella used to be a ballerina or a dancer before she was uh I'll be sure she was an actress so I feel like that would be like a perfect team up um Marla uh Marla Hooch uh, played by Megan Kavanaugh. Just great. Just a, a bunch of heart and humor all wrapped up into one. And um, I know where everybody thinks that you're going to go, but I'm not going to go there. Um, I actually I went with 80 Bryant. I feel like 80 Bryant is at that point now in her career where she needs to leave SNL. She is such a good performer. She's such a comic gem that this role would be kind of like a launching a launch pad for her like definitely a launch pad for her uh, so yeah i went with ad a. bryant um so ernie um played by john lovitz uh, the man that you love to hate and laugh at the uh, uh the baseball scout i went with somebody who kate cannon had already worked with who i feel like has that asshole nature in him the way that John Lovitz did. Um, and it's Ike Bernholtz. <laughs> like, I cannot think of that man without laughing, but also having a little bit of hatred for him. Um, his Like, he always plays that dick and like in much in the same way that John Lovitz did, and I feel like he would be perfect in this role. Um and just giving him a bunch of great one liners, sarcastic one liners would just be heaven. Um for Ira, Ira uh, Lowenstein who's the um who's the GM or or I guess you could say he was the GM for the Rockford Peaches. Uh he would be in this case. Um Played by David Strathern, the great David Strathern. I went with somebody who, whose work I really, really adore. A guy who I don't feel—I feel like within critic circles, blog boys, we all kind of love him, but I don't think he's gotten to the to the apex of his career yet. And he will. I mean, he's he's making he's he's pulling out supporting Oscar noms. It seems like every year. So we're gonna go. Uh, I. I casted uh Michael Stuhlbarg as um as Ira. And I feel like he has that warmth, but not only the warmth, the 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 unsured but steadied nature um and anxiety that you could imbue into Ira when you need it. Um, he's just a great performer and he's he's like he's literally the new like he's the new he's like the equivalent he's like the the equivalent of David Stra like he's like the the modern equivalent of him uh, just a guy that you you go fuck he needs to work more we need to see more of him because whatever whenever he does he brings he brings it um <clears throat> For Walter Harvey, played by the, uh, the indomitable Gary Marshall, th- you have to, you have to have Hanks, you have to have Hanks come back for that role, uh, just because it's, it's three scenes, it's great, he comes in, he does his thing, and then he gets out, and I think that Hanks could be great at that. Um, Bob, who is Dottie's husband, played by Bill Pullman in the original, um, You need somebody who. You need somebody who can come in like Bill Pullman, and you not be mad that that he comes in, and Dottie is completely in love with him, and kind of steals the thunder from Tom Hanks and the or the Jimmy Dugan and the chemistry that him and Dottie have. Uh, And so I went with, I went with the most affable dude. Uh, Like, I could think of which, of course, when you think of affable and, you know, (laughs) plain mayo dudes, you think of Paul Rudd. So, Paul Rudd as Bob. And then, finally, uh, the last role that I'm going to cast is Miss Cuthberth, uh, played by Pauline Bravesford, who has some of the best moments, especially in one scene, in and you know it if you've seen this before it's the it's the it's the bus the bus driver scene <laughs> there is that that 7 minute stretch of film is possibly some of the funniest things i've ever seen i still remember as a kid laughing almost to the point of tears um gasping for air when that that whole entire section and uh, Um, If you're going to get somebody who can just pull off prim and proper um, and can pull off like (laughs) stateliness but make it funny, you got to go with Maya Rudolph. You just you, you have to like all of the work that she's evolved, like the work that she's been doing recently has evolved into that kind of mother funny mother hen. And she would just be perfect in that role. And that's it. Uh, A League of Their Own, updated and to be released in 2019 in theaters nowhere. <laughs> uh, so we'll be back next time with He Got Game, uh, Spike Lee's basketball movie that's about basketball, but not about basketball. It's about more than that. Um, you can reach out to us on uh, social media. We are currently on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. If you go on to Letterboxd and you uh, and you. S- and you follow us on Letterbox, you'll be able to track in advance what we're going to be sh- uh, what we're going to be um, talking about in the coming weeks, or at least one week ahead. Uh, so that if you're interested and you want to watch before we actually uh, we actually go ahead and talk about the films, uh, then Letterbox is the place you want to go and uh, and you want to follow us. Now, on all three social media platforms, we're all the same thing. B movie pod the letter B the word movie the word pod all together no lines no dashes no bullshit um, you can always reach out to us there or you can actually if you want to go on to our the website uh, that is the home for the B movie podcast the, the movie aisle. And uh, you can uh, you can read the work, my work and the work of my colleagues uh, there. I'm the editor in chief at the uh, the movie aisle. Um, and we got some really great stuff going on right now uh, with the site. Like I said, I think I've mentioned a few weeks for the last few weeks, we are bringing on Olivia um, in a writing capacity. And then, of course, we've got Marie and Scott uh, both doing their thing um, as uh, like, you know, the the book the heart and soul of the b movie or i'm sorry the movie aisle and then we've got some guest contributors like uh Kristen. and uh it's just a really great site i i'm very passionate about my site uh just as much as i'm passionate about this podcast so if you could go ahead and drop us a line there and take a look at the stuff that we're doing over there um we'll be back next time uh talking spike lee and basketball but I just want to stop and say thank you for your listenership. As always, it means the world to me. Uh, it means the world to the the podcast. Uh, we I don't do this for money. I just do it because I'm passionate. And I want I want you guys to see these films um, and s- discuss them. So doing it all out of love. So until next time, talk to you soon.